Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives, and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Exvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will change careers at your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Please join me at Outreach Unleash. I'll be heading to San Diego with the Outreach team March 10th through 12th in what will be one of the top sales conferences of 2019. Come see me in my session as I'll be sharing a new coaching framework for how one-on-one coaching can help you build a sales dynasty. Hit me up for more info or for tickets, and you'll be glad you attended. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Allison Welch, Vice President of Enterprise Sales for Twilio. Twilio's cloud communications platform provides developers the building blocks necessary to add messaging, voice, and video in any web or mobile application. Twilio's solutions enable innovators in every industry and help organizations reinvent how they engage with their customers wherever they are. Twilio's growth has been impressive, and under Allison's leadership, her team continues to grow year over year by over 50%. Allison is a mother of two, a successful leader of a team that is growing ridiculously fast and is having a great time helping each member of her team succeed. I am super excited to have her join our show today. Allison, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Hey Rob, great to be here and sincere congratulations on the success of this podcast. Really impressed with uh, the content that you've produced thus far and the recognition that you guys have received. So thanks for including me as part of the uh, speaker lineup here. Great to talk to you. Uh, no, I've been excited. I've been, I've been, uh, had you on our list to get it on here for a while and you're going to be a fun conversation because Twilio is doing great things. You're part of a killer team, but with what you're doing as part of the enterprise sales team, we got a lot of listeners who always are asking, how do we move up market? How do we get into the enterprise team? So, Allison, we're really excited that we're going to have a lot of listeners around the world that are going to be excited to hear what we talk about today. So can we start by you just giving our listeners the Twilio story? Share a little bit about Twilio, what you guys do, and and kind of what you're up to these days? Sure. Great. So uh, Twilio is a 10-year-old company. Went public two years ago, two and a half years ago, before I started with the company. And we, we, uh, gained our notoriety and our customer and original customer base through developers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our developer community was able to start building really unique customer engagement experiences that you and I use every day 
we use them with our reminders that re we receive from doctors' offices or um, health care appointment notices or Uber uh, texts from our drivers or communication from our drivers with Lyft. All of those communications are coming through developer-led initiatives within companies. And through the ten, throughout the 10 years of Twilio's success, we've built out this trust with our customers that has enabled us to really become the number one trusted brand in the communication space. And we're on a fast trajectory to continue that momentum into a number of different omni-channel experiences that we can offer to our customers and our customers' customers. Yeah, so that's a pretty that's a pretty big marketplace as you drop some names that every single one of us are familiar with and you talk about those use cases. It, it's it's it, I'm excited to talk about how do you get those people to start using the Twilio solution because I'll now I'll be honest, every time I get a Lyft or an Uber ever again, I'm gonna think about this conversation I'm having with you. And, uh, you know? And so but I'm interested also and one of the things our listeners love, uh Allison, is we prepare to dig into how you're driving some cool things at Twilio. Can you share your story a little bit, how you got started in sales and, and ultimately what, what led you to Twilio? Sure, sure. So I started my my sales career at a company called Akamai Technologies, which is a awesome technology company based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, started out of MIT. Yeah, I joined awesome a company. company. Just after they went public, I like to join companies right after they go public. I don't know why. <laughs> That's not a lesson learned, by the way, or best practice. But uh, anyway, I stayed there for 14 years, and my original foray into sales came after about five years of business consulting work and implementation work with customers, where I really was fortunate enough to, to work on the post-sale adoption and um and uh, implementation for our enterprise customers. Through that experience, I was engaging with salespeople all the time and learning the good and the bad of how sellers work with their customers, who listens to their customers, who really understands the business outcome of their customer. And I just decided that it was something I wanted to do myself. I wanted to be in more control of my own destiny. I really enjoyed working with customers, but I also thought I knew how to bring them value, uh, both fiscally and uh, through better adoption cycles than what some of the, the pre-sales teams were introducing. So I... I raised my hand and one of my managers at the time took a risk on me. I had no sales experience. And he put me into a, an enterprise sales selling role at Akamai and, and uh, we went from there. I did, uh, I remember I had to take a big pay cut and I was really nervous about the quota and the gap in co compensation. I didn't understand the comp plan and the, the on-target earning model and the upside of, of what a if you had overachieved your quota, what earning potential you could you could have? I was really more interested in the uh, <laughs> in the opportunity to own my own uh, territory and and work with my customers very intimately. Well, that's a that's a cool intro to enterprise sales, and I bet that has a lot to do with what you're doing right now with Twilio. But I'll let you finish your story because I'm taking notes, and I love that you started Akamai. That that's a great success story, Akamai. It is. It definitely, uh, we, we were, we, we had a huge endurance play at Akamai. We, we lived through a number of different changes in market dynamics and, uh, tragedy as well. We lost our co-founder 
in 9-11, Danny Lewin. And through that, just the DNA and the culture of the company that was developed was an amazingly powerful uh, loyalty and following, as well as the technology being hyper disruptive and uh, it actually worked. It did what it said it would do, which was really powerful for those who were, who were selling it and believed in it. We didn't have to, to leave our ethics at the door to go in and talk to our customers about uh, getting them to think about new ways of leveraging the internet. So that was really powerful. And I think that that same, I feel very similarly about Twilio. I think Twilio has had a tremendous run and it will continue to grow. Uh, we are in a 100% focused on wearing our customer shoes every day and building trust with our customers. And that's our number one priority as a company and as a team. Okay, so that you, that's how you got started in enterprise sales. How'd you get into sales leadership? Because those are com- two completely different things. And this is a the sales leadership podcast. And you had a, a cool introduction to enterprise sales that we'll talk about with a interesting company. I want to talk about that loyalty effect that you started talking about. Um, but I'm interested. How'd you get into sales leadership? So sales leadership, I um, I think I always advise people because I, I get a lot of people who come and talk to me. When can I get a? You know, I want to be a manager. Uh, looking yes. when can I go into leadership and, and I, you know, I, I look at them and why do you want to go into leadership? Well, I want, I want more exposure and I want to build a team and okay, well, let's talk about your execution. And I think one of the things that uh, being a leader requires, you do have to, you have to have, have performed. You have to have found disruptive new ways to introduce value to the customers that you have. And I was successful at that prior to joining the leadership team at Akamai, uh, I had, you know, I had worked on projects and staff assignments that were outside of my day-to-day job. I took on programs that weren't necessarily part of my compensation package. I went out of my way to build relationships with my management team, with my executives, bringing them into customers, showing them that they could trust me in front of an executive or a C-suite within my customer base. And I think those are things that you have to demonstrate in order to get into leadership. And that's how I coached my, my team. Um, I was given the opportunity, kind of a traditional path. I took a regional sales manager role and um, started to build my, uh, my team. I was hiring my replacement and then um, some additional resources as we were continuing to build out the team. And um, if I could do that again, the one thing I didn't do before I became a manager was really understand the math of being a leader, a sales leader, understanding that it is still, it's a highly operational role and um, data and metrics and understanding productivity impact pipeline uh, is really important for a manager to have, uh, have down. And it's great to get into that prior to jumping into management so that you have an understanding of it and can appreciate it when you're actually doing the job. All right, Allison. So we're going off now that we're done with that. You just gave me a whole series of questions that I can't wait to dive into that we have never talked about on this show before, because you just said that. Uh, so we have tons of people that listen that want to become managers. We have tons of people that listen that are managers. And one of the very common topics that uh, we talked about is what leads to su- success. Do you think that highly successful um, reps that get promoted to these leadership positions don't understand that it really is an operational job and, and just the importance of that math? You brought that up. I love that. 
Um, yeah. how, how big of a deal is that to the success or failure of a, of a leader? Well, I think it's a real blend. You, you have to, you have to have the, um, the cadence and the, the discipline around operational excellence, but you also have to have the personality and the energy and the empathy for your team and those customers that they're dealing with every day. You can't just be one or the other to be a successful leader. Uh, it's a very adaptive role and you have to, you have to leverage those skills in different scenarios depending on who you're working with in my opinion to be successful yeah i think you're dead on i think that i think that people that understand that numbers and the math and as they relate to process a lot of people think especially some of the most successful ones you know i, I think a, a common friend for both of us you know like dear friend of mine at least is john barrows john always yeah. says that the the stars are the picassos and if you ask picasso how to paint Picasso looks at you like you're an idiot and says, I don't know, I just do it. Right. And you got to be the kind of leader that does that paint by numbers, right? And say, put blue here, yellow here, and before you know it, you have your own little masterpiece. And too often, the Picassos, when they get in there, they feel like, you know what? Either you are not smart enough or you're not working hard enough. And too often, they don't realize that the reps just need someone to help them push the how button instead of the more button, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The how button and, and breaking it down and having empathy around people not necessarily knowing the how yet is, is a really important uh, attribute for a leader. You also uh, conversely need to understand that you can't always be the how button, right? You need to pull back. You need to let them go. You can't be the one driving the deal. You need to take your hands off the steering wheel uh, and let them make mistakes and fall down and, and learn. That's the only way you're going to learn. So, so let's talk about that. So you're a new manager or even now that you're a seasoned leader at, at, at the executive level, how do you know when to let them fall? That, that's hard. I think I, I had an episode that was pretty, that was, that had a lot of comments to start a lot of, of discussion called the, the seven, the seven deadly sins of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And one of them is you're, you're a crutch, not a coach. <laughs> and it's exactly what you're talking about that we kind of take over. How does a manager know when to let them skin their knees? Because that's hard to do because they look at you as the manager and your job is to help them win. And many, many times, I think the inexperienced managers say, I'll make sure you, how do you know how to handle that, Allison? I think it's based on individual. I, I can't give you a formula I, uh, that doesn't scale, which is concerning. Right. Um, you, you do know off of gut. I mean, gut is a really powerful tool you know off of uh, integrity and accountability. Have they shown accountability? Do you have trust? Um, do they understand their numbers? Do they understand what they need to get to and what they're operating with? Uh, can they can they give you confidence? You know, if you left the room and they're with a, a big customer or uh, an executive on your e-staff, uh, can you leave them alone in the room without worrying that they're going to fumble and need your support? And uh, you're going to, no one's perfect and everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. So you can't expect exact replication. You have to appreciate the nuance and the style differences. Yeah, I like that. And I think that's probably 
uh, you know, it was a off the cuff question then that you didn't expect me to ask. And I appreciate the answer because I think you're dead on. The reason you see me gravitate to it, Allison, is when I did that episode, a good, another good friend of both of ours, Doug Landis kind of busted my chops on the episode and said, Rob is, you know, how do you do with this one? Cause it's my biggest <laughs> leader. I, I fall victim to that all the time, Allison. I go in and I take over too often and I don't let them grow because I just want to win so bad. And I think that's a hard thing. And so the fact that you brought that up, I thought that was interesting that I didn't expect to talk about today. Let's, let's get to what I did expect to talk about though. What's harder getting a team into high growth mode or keeping them in high growth mode? Oh gosh. I think keeping. <laughs> why? No, tell me why I'm interested because yeah, I mean, now you're talking about scale, right? Right. I mean, it, it's a blend of keeping because the product is really, you know, the product market fit is just right. And there's so much to do and go after. And, and that's a really good problem to have. And then there's the the downside of, you know, people not getting it or um, markets changing and, and we have to make different decisions. I think that's, that's also, you know, not lost on me. That happened twice at, at Akamai in a pretty significant way with the credit crisis and the dot com bust in those three and uh, we lived through both we we had some pretty traumatic times but we made it through and we had to get back on the hyper growth again you want to do that but you want to do it with some uh conservative you know not too conservative but, but some uh conservative conservative mindset one of the things you've shared with me as you were talking about uh keeping in high growth mode since that's the angle that we're going is developing next generation leaders you know, what do you do? I mean, that's a question that everybody asks. Do I go out and hire those leaders or do I develop them? And you've shared with me that developing next-gen leaders is something that you found to be super important. Why is the development of leaders such an important thing for you? Well, one, I, I, um, I'm so proud of the people on my team who have stepped into new roles taken on new challenges. Maybe they haven't felt quite ready, but they just, you know, have had tremendous success. It's great to see when your people you've hired uh, have have continued on to, to build great things and uh, had great success. So I guess it's a little bit selfish, right? It's a, a bit of an <laughs> ego thing. <laughs> and then, uh, I love it. I do, I do think it's important though to be able to hire, to be able to, as a leader, to be able to hire successfully from the outside and from the inside, but I think you have to just be, uh, you have to pick the time of when and how that's going to impact your growth because it takes time to bring in leaders, get them acquainted with the culture and the momentum of the business. And if you have next generation leaders that you can take a risk on internally, I think mobility internally is a really good thing in a hyper growth environment. So I'm with you. I've seen both work and I've seen both not work. I've seen lots of good things when you bring the right influence in and I've seen people get frustrated when they feel like they get overlooked. Is there anything you could share with our, our listeners on how do you kind of get the idea of who someone that you develop and, and is the next gen? What do you look for in knowing who's a next gen leader versus when is it time to go get one? Is there any kind of thoughts that you have around that? I have to, I mean, if I, if the, the, project or the scope that they're tackling doesn't if it's really something where they need to be two step they need to be two stages ahead already because of the hyper growth uh, then it, I think it's a risk to put a next gen new leader who's never done that type of role before in place 
uh, without, you know, some, some level of capacity for you to protect and train and, and enable them, um, versus going outside and trying to recruit someone who has, has the abilities and has taken, had the larger scope role and is willing to even maybe downsize a bit to join and be part of, um, a large, uh, growth cycle. So I think if you're if you're looking at like some of the the roles that we're hiring for right now are you know they're going to be massive roles in a very short period of time. Um, there, I worry about uh, hiring next gen leaders within who haven't seen that cycle yet. It could be, it couldn't, it may have adverse effects for them. It's it's a tough one. I think the the answer is unique for everybody. But I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because. You've gone through that, and and I agree with you. Getting into high growth mode is one thing, but keeping there predictably, sustainably, there's a lot of moving parts that have to go. Uh, as you start to build out a team and go and build a larger team, and now you've got a pretty sizable group out there that are all having success, how, how important is it to empower the teams? Uh, because the bigger you get, you probably have a harder time knowing uh, all the details of what's going on. How do you empower teams, right? This is why, this is why I love Twilio. Uh, Twilio built out across the company. We have company values and it's, we distill how we win. Um, I'm just going to pull them up because they're so good. Awesome. How we operate, how we make decisions and how we act. So that's the Twilio magic. We call it. And this is what I use. How you operate, how you make decisions, and how you act. Those are the three. How we act, how we make decisions, and how we win. How we win. And then we have values associated with each of those categories. So um, what was your question? I'm going back to your question. Empowerment. Um, I mean, as you grow, at what point do you – what's the role of empowering people if you're going to stay in high-growth mode? So we always, you know, we we're focused on the customer building the customer trust at the end of the day, wearing the shoes. But more importantly, how we act, everyone in the company is thought of as an owner, be an owner, own your domain, own your practice, empower, empower others. We're, we're all interesting people and we have different ideas about how to do things, you know, be an active listener with those, uh, those ideas and realize that it's not just, it's not just the way before there may be a new way. Um, these are the, these are the types of values that we've built as a company that help us make decisions every day. And I think really set us apart and it's an incredible tool to use as you're in hyper growth. Cause you just need to revert back to those and it gets you back on track. You're trying to prioritize. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the part. That's why I imagine that the, the fact that you're developing the leaders, as I, I'm piecing everything, you're, I'm, I'm taking furious notes over here, Allison. You would laugh if we were sitting across the table from each other. Um, as I'm piecing everything you're saying together, I think that if you effectively uh, develop those leaders, is it easier for you to feel comfortable in how you empower them because you know what their journey was like? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But I also, I also feel like to be a well-rounded leader, you also need to be able to bring in people that you haven't necessarily, you know, developed. You need to find talent in many ways. And so, yes, I think developing from within is really important. I just, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I think a well-rounded leader can do both. Yep. Love it. 
Let's shift gears now because I'm looking at my clock and I can't believe we're already starting to run low. Uh, you lead an enterprise team. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me saying, hey, we're looking to move into the enterprise. We want to move upstream. Um, you're in a place that lots of people talk about, but very few, if I'm really honest, really ever get a chance to really get great at. It. You know, it's it's like it's this place that if you get really comfortable at it, you can be really successful, but sometimes it's hard to get there. Can can you share a little bit about the what you find is the biggest challenge of growing into large enterprise or even some of the things that helps you succeed talking to large enterprise customers? Yeah, I think focus is the biggest thing there, right? And you say enterprise, that means a lot of different categories. Fair. We could be talking about compliance and risk categories like healthcare um, and financial services, which have far different compliance and risk requirements than other enterprise industries that you can tackle. So really looking at your business and your offering and your product market fit and focusing in on, as you try and go upstream, focusing in on the markets that make sense for you to tackle and not trying to be a broad enterprise product market fit. I think that um, too often I see that kind of peanut butter approach to we're going into the enterprise or we're going into the mid-market, we're going to build out a team, and then you end up getting uh, drowning in all the different requirements that come in from those different enterprises. So try and focus on, look at your install base, look at the customers you've already won, what are the trends within those customers, what are the use cases, those are most likely the ones you'll be successful with in the early days as you're trying to go upstream into the enterprise. Is there like, is there any ways that you've experienced and you found that as you're doing that, you're listening to them, you're doing those things. How do you not just get t- caught in a time warp in the, in these larger ones? Because, you know, I, I have a lot of people tell me that if you're going to large enterprise, you have to plan on significantly larger sales cycle times. And maybe that's the case, but I don't know what your experience is. It doesn't have to be ridiculous. I don't think, I mean, is there ways that you can get predictability to these large enterprise cycle times? I think so. I think you can you can start measuring. You know, it's all about looking at pipeline, age of pipeline, um, number of con- contacts, number of touches, whatever that means, uh, engagements with those customers, and start to formulaically decide what you have to do in order to develop a um, a cycle or a repeatable cycle with an enterprise. And then you have to prioritize your pipeline that way, right? If you're looking at something that's a big whale logo that of course you can't ignore, but it's taking 300 days to make any progress, you know, you need, you know, 10 other smaller, um, more nimble, agile use cases that you can sell into while you're trying to tackle that big whale. Uh, and, and every individual rep and, and leader should have that type of formula. So as a leader, when you're working with reps in this in this area, how important is like your one-on-ones with them to help really manage that process? Because it's not transactional, right? I mean, these are a little bit more complex. Um, does coaching and one-on-ones play a different role when you're going into the space? I think it's. I think it does. I don't think I have it down. I don't have a form a great form. I mean, I don't know how you do it. You're a co- you have a co- coaching platform. Taking a page from Doug Landis, putting it back on you. How should I do that? <laughs> yeah, that the, that's a whole different conversation. But with you, with you having, with you doing it, that's 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 what I found at least. I found that with these longer, more more complex ones, what, what my experience has been, it actually becomes more important because sometimes we allow reps to become complacent under the like the guise of, well, it's a long sales cycle. 
You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. You've got to measure. So that I see what you're saying. So you've got to be able to measure progress. What is the next step? What is the reverse engineer me from the close to where you are? What do you envision that looking like? How many stages? Uh, what do you need from us? Have, you know, executive sponsorship, legal process, security reviews. Um, what other requirements are there to get to the point where we have um, business validation? and a technical win. All right. I, I would love to spend more time on that, but I want to have one more question before we wrap this up. And, and it's, it's hopefully a simple one, but you never know. Uh, if you were to think about your leadership blueprint, you've, you've worked with a pretty cool team and some other very cool teams. And is there any like non-negotiables things that you say I have to do if I'm going to be an effective leader? Well, as an effective leader, what, what are like just one or two of those non-negotiables on your blueprint that, that helps your team win? I mean, I, I'm, I'm really focused on authenticity. Ooh, I like that. With, with my, my team, with my customers, with my management team, with my product team, it has to be real. One of my reps yesterday was helping me recruit someone and she said, this is a place where you don't have to sacrifice your ethics. I, I think I said that earlier. Wow. Really yeah, you did. But... I was, I was really taken by that. I thought this is so cool. <laughs> what a statement. And not, not just say other software and technology companies, you have to sacrifice your ethics, but I think she meant it more along the lines of like, I really have a high degree of credibility when I go into my customers and I push them down a disruptive force. Right. And yeah. I'm, I stand behind that and I want to, I, I always feel comfortable standing behind Twilio. And I think that's important. Um, and then, and I think, um, you know, the no shenanigans, we have that as a value, no shenanigans. It has to be it, it, the authenticity, the integrity in which we operate with our customers, with each other have to be there. I'm, I'm can, I, can I ask a follow up on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, authenticity is such a powerful word. Alice, it's so powerful. And I, I love that every part of your story, you know, Akamai you love because you didn't have to sacrifice your, your ethics and why you love it here. It's, it's an authentic company led by you as an authentic leader. Is it hard to be authentic? I mean, I think a lot of leaders think they're authentic, but sometimes the reps are like, yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, what, is it as easy as just do what you say you'll do? Is it as easy as just like get to know your people? Any tips think, on how to be authentic? Doug, yeah, I love Doug Landis says this. Bring your weekend self to work. Don't be afraid to be human. Yeah, I love that. Be, be, uh, tell the stories that make you motivate you and hear your, your team stories and your customer stories and, uh, and have some fun with it. It's really important. It's, it's, it's a burner. We're all burnt out, right? Yeah. So we have to, we have to make it interesting that way. Yeah. Because people leave because of managers. And I, I think about this a lot, Allison, you know, Glassdoor says that 68% of the salespeople in the United States say they're actively looking for their job. And so what does that mean? That means a large part of it has to be that they don't feel like they're in an authentic situation to use your words. And I bet most managers wouldn't feel like they're pulling, you know, that they're inauthentic. And I love that tip that you just gave. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a really good one for everyone to kind of check and say, am I really authentic or could I do better? Right. I think so. 
All right. Look at it every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I love that. Besides authenticity, is there any uh, one other thing on your blueprint that you would say has, has really been helpful for you? Because non negotiable. I have to believe in the the vision of the um, ah, good the product strategy and the the solution. I can't. I, I can't. I won't. It will come through that I'm not passionate about what I'm trying to convey to the customer. If I don't believe in it. Do you, do you try to hire for people that have passion in what they do? So if they catch that vision, you know that it'll burn. Is that something you look for when you hire people that? I try. Yeah. It's hard to, it's sometimes hard to diagnose perfectly in the, you know, short interview cycles that we have, but yes. Uh, and I do a lot of referral based hiring. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I found that as well. I, I believe if you can't be passionate about something outside of work, there is no chance you're going to be passionate about what we do here. So, um, people of passion. We are for sure out of time, and I want to finish with the way I finish everything else. And you've been awesome. I, I can't believe that the time slipped by so fast. You did not disappoint. Uh, I have all kinds of rabbit holes I want to go down with you. I'm going to be calling you back up in six months and get you back on here to go deep. Um, biggest sales leadership challenge you faced, and, and how did you face it down? What is that for you? Oh, I thought you said you were done. Biggest leadership challenge. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I finished the uh, same with everyone. Come on, baby. I got the same two questions <laughs> to finish with everybody. You told me. Uh, biggest leadership challenge. I really have a soft spot for my team. And so I sometimes become really good friends. You know, usually they're really good friends. <laughs> and, and, and we have a lot of fun together. And they become my husband's friends. And soon they know my family. And, you know, it just goes on. So... How do you give tough feedback to your friends when they're maybe not cutting the muster you want them to and you're disappointed? How do you do it? That's an awesome one. No one has said that yet. How do you do it? <laughs> I have sleepless nights and then I finally give them the feedback and I feel so much better and they, I think they benefit from it and I think they probably feel better too because they wonder why sometimes I get that look in my eye like, oh irritated so you just have to do it and it's better for everyone it's more it's fair for your team if if you don't if you don't do it you're you're under you're devaluing the rest of the team so and, and never, hopefully we'll do it to me too right and it never gets with the people enough. i work for so never gets easy all right that was an awesome one uh final question that i would ask everyone leaders are readers the great leaders never say i'm done learning they, uh, they, they read lots of different things. Anything that uh, you found is uh, yeah. critical to share with people that want a leadership career in sales? So I, the most the kind of different plant for you is, um, have you read Setting the Table by Danny Meyer? I have not. Leader? No, I want yeah. to know. This is a cool thing. So uh, Jeff Lawson, our CEO, brought in Danny Meyer. He, I think they're, they're friends. He runs the – he started the Shake Shack. And, oh, awesome. Uh, a number of different restaurants, successful restaurants, Gramercy Tavern and others in, in uh, New York City. And he wrote this book called Setting the Table, and it's all about transforming the power of the hospitality business into business and just talking about the customer and how he built this business and the importance of listening and being personable, um, it's excellent. I think you should read it. And then uh, the other one that for leaders that I like is Super Bosses. If you haven't read that, it talks about some of the great Super Bosses and the different styles of Super Bosses, um, awesome. from you know Bill Walsh and coaches to people like Larry Ellison and um, and uh, other technology leaders. So that's another good one. Those are my so two good. for you. Oh, and then my last plug is uh, the 
because we don't have enough time to read because we're all reading too much in our emails and CRMs and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> podcasts are my new reading. So I really am enjoying Finding Mastery, which is a podcast written by uh, or spoken by a sports psychologist, Michael Gervais, I think his name is. Take a listen to that. There's some really good stuff. I'm going to add Finding it. Mastery. I'm with you. I, I'm on airplanes all the time, and I find that podcasts are my favorite way to, to pass that time now. So I'm with you. Okay, Allison, I took more time than uh, I told you. I apologize, but uh, I don't apologize because our listeners will thank you because you were amazing. How do our listeners get more of you? How do they get more of Twilio? Where do they find more of what you're laying down? Because you will have many people that are interested in uh, learning more about you because you've been so good here today. The, uh, so two things. One, uh, check out Twilio's career page. There's tons of opportunity here and would love to give people guidance if they have interest in joining a, a great company. And then secondly, LinkedIn is always a good way to, to connect with me and just mention uh, this particular podcast or just something that will connect us. I'll do my best to get back to you. Awesome. I, I love it. Uh, we got Allison Welsh here today. She has been authentic in every stage of her career and it is driving mad success at Twilio. Uh, if you don't believe me, go check their stock price. Today, as we record this, it's at an all-time high. And a lot of it has to do with the authenticity that the reps take to the market because of the authenticity that you get from their leader. Allison, thanks for joining us and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Have a good one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I was really excited to get Allison on. I've been trying to get her on the show for a little while now and really glad that we had that uh, work together. And, and the timing was perfect because if there's one thing that Allison really focuses on as a leader that I think has driven much of her success, it is her authenticity. Uh, I, I, I think Allison absolutely has the authenticity that every rep wishes their manager had. And I say that again with all the authenticity I can say. And the reason the timing is so good is I'm hearing a lot about as the New Year's hit and people are getting new goals, there's a lot of pressure on the more button. There's a lot of pressure on uh, moving the last year's results to what next year's results are going to be. And, and too often, the only thing that people are talking about is changing the activities. So more results comes from more activities. And sometimes that's the case, but not always. And I've got a lot of thoughts on that that I would love to talk about with anybody who's wrestling with that right now. But one of the great sales leaders I know, um, and I won't, I won't name this person's name because don't have permission to do it, uh, recently quit uh, as the sales leader and shared with me the reason was, was that because this person no longer felt like was in a per position where they were able to be authentic with their team. And uh, trust and authenticity is, is the hallmark of this great leader as it is with all great leaders. And rather than stick around in a situation where um, wouldn't be able to do that any longer, made the decision to say, peace out, I'll see you later. And I think that that's an awesome, awesome, awesome example of a leader that really understands why they're winning, not just that they're winning. And that the minute that comes that I can no longer be authentic is the minute that I no longer will be effective here. And I'm not here to talk about why this leader wasn't able to be authentic anymore. There are a number of reasons. 
the point is, Allison led with authenticity was one of her non-negotiables. And she talked at the very beginning that she loves Twilio because everywhere she's been that she's been successful, she felt like she didn't have to leave her ethics at the door. And that as a senior leader at Twilio, one of the things she loves and other people that work there love is you don't have to leave your ethics at the door. And I love that. In fact, she said trust is the number one priority of Twilio. And there's no doubt that that's why it was an element of why they've had great growth. It's, in my mind, no doubt why her team is having success and why she's able to both develop leaders, recruit people, uh, and have people sticking around. I, I think that that ability to win by being authentic and not having to leave your ethics at the door are important. I love how she quoted uh, one of my great friends, Doug Lannis, where she said, uh, you know, bring your weekend self to work. Let people know who you are. Don't be afraid of, of letting them know who you are. Um, and so I, I thought that that was a really great uh, emphasis. The second thing that really stood out to me with this Ella uh, uh, um, interview that we had was she really understands the importance of letting people learn and that our job isn't just to give them guardrails and a cadence and say, knock yourself out and, and get there or else we'll find someone who will. Uh, she understands the importance of taking people on a journey and helping them learn things that they might not already know and let them work through problems and, and, and learn how to be in the deep end of the pool. You know, one of the things that I've also seen recently is too often uh, I see leaders that are telling, making reps feel like the rep has to earn the confidence of the leader rather than realizing that it's a leader's job to demonstrate confidence and build the confidence of the rep. And so our job is to help people win and let them learn. Let them struggle sometimes. Let them find things out because that's the only way that we'll build those next-gen leaders. I really love uh, how she was focused on that. But I also love how she said it created what she thought was her biggest challenge, and that's having hard conversations with people that become your friends. As you're authentic and as you win together, of course you're going to become good friends. And she said that creates this challenge that in her mind is one of the hardest challenges for a leader, the ability to have hard conversations, which takes me to the third thing that stood out. She talked about very quickly, it's an operational role. And you've got to know the math for each person. It's not just, you know, a spreadsheet leader. We've got to be able to individualize what what is the math, what's the operational plan for each person. How do we make sure that not only are we not being a coach instead of a crutch, which I talked about in her second thing, but how do we individualize so we make it so your reps, every single one has an individual plan? Because if we can do that, that makes it gives us a way that we can actually have more challenging conversations. As people need to have those, we can make them operationally oriented rather than emotionally oriented. And I want to leave with one of my favorite quotes. It's something I've been sharing now. Uh, in in uh, kickoffs that I've been giving. I'm going to be sharing this in some upcoming speeches as well. Here's something that I've observed as, as I've been able to work with a lot of leaders in 19 countries around the world. We need to move past using numbers to keep score and start using numbers to drive individual action. That, that's what I'm seeing is a big difference between the average and the greats. The average use numbers to keep score the greats use numbers to drive individual action. If you're only using numbers to have leaderboards and uh, stack rankings, uh, you could do so much better. Uh, that doesn't inspire and that doesn't ignite. Uh, please, please, please listen to what Allison Welch had to, had to share today. Be authentic. Let people learn. And, and be an individual uh, operator uh, with each one of your reps so you can create plans to help them win. And what you'll find 
is not only will you get into high growth mode, but you'll stay there. I want to thank Allison for joining us. She was a fantastic guest. Um, kudos to her for what she's done. And uh, one of her passion points is, is it's helping people win, but she's an active leader in the women in sales movement. I want to recognize her for that as well. Um, if you have any questions for her, be sure to reach out to her. And as always, please, if you like what you're hearing, give us those ratings on the podcast sites so more people can find us. We appreciate uh, each of our listeners. We appreciate your suggestions of people to get on the show. And as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exploit at exvoyant.com.